iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome director Craig Tepper and this evening's guest moderator, Eugene Hernandez of IndieWire. Hello, Craig. Hello, Eugene. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And thank you to it's the audience polite, for isn't being it? here. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. I was just thinking as I was watching the opening, I love seeing the opening of a movie um, as a teaser more so than a trailer because I think that it just really gives you a sense of, well, it gives you a strong hook in this case. Really want, you really want to watch more. Um, let's talk about the opening. Let's talk about the way you framed the film um, without giving too much away. We sort of start... Uh, with with uh, Vidal, uh, and we end with a similar with a similar shot. Yeah, this kind of a, a bookended structure where the um, visually what you see at the beginning is repeated and echoed again at the end. Um, you know, it's not a story where we're following Vidal in the present tense and we're watching his life unfold. It's mostly going back and looking at the previous eighty-two years of his life. So we had to find a visual way of keeping that compelling and um, this is uh, this is the setup for it so let's deconstruct it uh, let's talk about it from a from a creative and a production point of view tell me about um, how you came up with the idea to frame it in this way and let's talk about pr- actually producing that that sequence and how that how that worked you're in the middle of a busy bridge <laughs> yeah it's the Millennium Bridge in London and the idea for shooting there really was you know Twofold. One thing is that, that uh, Vidal's main influence in his work was architecture. So we wanted to be somewhere where there was compelling architecture. And the other aspect of it was that he, he came along in the, in the 60s and he modernized hairdressing. Um, so we wanted to be somewhere where you could see old architecture, new architecture mixed. So that's right in the middle of the Thames River. One side you've got the Tate Modern Gallery, on the other side you have old London. So it was this whole idea that he's walking from old London into new London. And you get a sense of it uh, at the opening there, the title sequence. Um, tell me about the design, really striking, well put together. Well, I mean, my, one of my takeaway um, feelings about the movie um, in addition to learning so much about him, and this is a guy who, you know, I remember all the commercials as a kid, but I didn't know that much about him. Uh, and then seeing, um, learning more about his background, uh, that was one aspect. And I think also just the exceptional uh, way in which the film was uh, shot, edited, constructed, uh, really adds to that. No, thank you. So l- I'd like to hear more about the, uh, the title sequence. For the title sequence. Well, uh, the, uh, we worked with an amazing motion graphics artist named uh, Yorgo. I'm going to mess his name up. I do it every time. It's Alexopoulos, I think it is. Apologize. But uh, he's not here, so he'll never know. Um, although I did it publicly the other day. Um, this event is being podcast. Oh, it's being podcast. I'm not going to tell him about that. Uh, but Yorgo is this amazing uh, motion graphics artist. Um, we worked very closely together. Um, the sequences were very planned out. And we use a lot of different art references throughout the film to, um, as a basis for the different motion graphic sequences. This particular sequence, the idea was, how do you quickly visually encapsulate what Sassoon did to people who have no idea what he did? So we were just looking for kind of iconographic, uh, geometric aspects to, to the work. And we were trying to find some visual way of, of putting that together. And interestingly, I was in a... I was in a store one day, um, and I, I was in L.A., and, and I looked at a, a clothing tag, and there was a scissor on the clothing tag, and it suddenly struck me that his name had two O's, and it looked like 
the handles of a pair of scissors. So I immediately like started ran, running to the parking lot and calling Yorgo and saying, so in the opening titles, we'll do the, the O's, they're going to become a scissor and the scissors going to open. And, the, and he, he had no idea what I was saying. So I was sending him little sketches. And by the time I got back to New York, he had a, a rough version of that that was, that was amazing. Well, okay, so let's take a step back um, and let's talk about how you got involved with this uh, project. Who here has heard of Bumble and Bumble? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. So um, tell us about Bumble and Bumble and what you, yeah. what you do there or what you did there <coughs> sure. uh, and how you came to be involved with this project. Yeah, Bumble and Bumble is a, a hair product company that was founded here in New York. Uh, Michael Gordon is the founder of that company and, and is the producer of this film. I worked at Bumble for about five or six years and I was the director of new media and, and Bumble is an you know it's a hair product company but it was an interesting uh, st a strange company because Michael's vision of the company wasn't that it, that it made shampoo his vision of the company was that it was some kind of a, a content engine so you know we had our own internal art department that produced all kinds of publications and then we had a new media department that was making films and we didn't do any traditional advertising we weren't making commercials we were making art films and documentary films that were tangentially related to hair and they you know the products might be in them but that they really weren't they were kind of uh, films that were made specifically for hairdressers and trying to create a kind of culture in hairdressing and in, in many ways, this film is an extension of that. You know, hairdressing is so under, um, uh, underexplored as a subject. If you go to a bookstore, you can find infinite number of books on, on music, on architecture, on various movements in art, but you'll find, about, you'll find nothing, if anything, on hair. Um, so it's very fertile ground historically and visually and creatively to, to explore. Um, and we did a couple of projects that involved Vidal while I was there. And uh, we got to know him kind of well. Michael... Michael Gordon and Vidal became pretty good friends. And just before his 80th birthday, Michael said to me that he wanted to, as a birthday present, give Vidal a little tribute film. And um, we pitched the idea to him. He liked it. And the idea was we were going to shoot for one week in L.A., get an interview, get some cutaway B-roll footage, and then cut it together with archival footage and make a little short for him. But after we did that week of shooting in L.A., Michael and Vidal became so excited, they said, well, we have to go to London. So we went to London. And then they got so excited, they said, oh, we've got to go to New Orleans because Vidal's been um, helping to build homes in, uh, in New Orleans after Katrina. So we went to New Orleans. Then we had to do a shoot here in New York. And, and this went on for about three years. We just kept going back and forth to going back to L.A., going back to London. And the film just kept growing. Um, and it went from this little tribute thing to a, to a full feature. And it, and it completely changed shape and completely changed scope throughout that time. So tell me about what... Vidal meant to you, and and how much did you know about him when you were when you were assigned this this initially rather small project? Um, you certainly gained a lot of knowledge over the course of making it. But tell me about what he meant to you in the early stages, and and what you what you initially sort of were struck by. Yeah, uh, early on, you know, I'd met him a couple of times. We'd done a couple of other films with him. Um, the first time I saw him personally, I'd, I'd made. Um, Michael had written a book called Hair Heroes, which was uh, profiles of, of different 20th century hairdressers. And I really wanted to make a film of that and made a kind of a 30-minute, 20-minute um, demo version of that film to try to encourage him to make a, a feature version of the film. And that 30-minute film became something that Vidal actually used when he would do public appearances. He would show his clip from that film. And I still hadn't met him yet, but I'd made this little, this little film. And... We were doing uh, a shoot with him in San Francisco, and he was doing a book signing with Michael, um, probably about 
eight, seven, eight years ago at this point. And the first time I saw him, I was, it was about 6.30 in the morning, and I was getting up to meet the crew that was coming into the hotel with all the equipment. And I'm standing in the lobby of the hotel, and Vidal comes walking through the lobby in a bathrobe and a Speedo and flip-flops looking for the swimming pool. And he just looked incredible. And I was just, I was just struck with how poised he was and how alive he was and how vibrant he was. And that, you know, that was my first experience of actually seeing him. Then as we worked together, it just became you know, so clear that, that he was so incredibly intelligent. He had so much knowledge in so many areas, he was so witty and was so kind to people. And, you know, I knew, I knew his history pretty well when, when this project started. You know, I knew what points in the story we probably wanted to hit. Um, but the more I got to know him as a person, the more impressed I became with him. And, and it got to a point where, you know, he was, re his, he really started to rub off on me. And uh, uh, knowing him, has become a very special thing to me. It's been, it's been very, you know, I, I, I admire him more than I can say. Well, I think I say it in the film, but with the film. But. It's incredible to learn that over the course of the film, not only his impact on hairdressing and starting out in an industry that was primarily uh, dominated by... <laughs> Drinking problem. That's from um, airplane, anyway. Just water. Clear liquid. Um, so just, just the fact that he was so um, influential mm -hmm. and, and the way that the industry that he was a part of changed, has changed over, over the past few decades, um, but also his, um, his tremendous emphasis on um, style and also well-being, health, healthy living. He's, he's incredibly fit and incredibly vibrant. Um, how did you... There's, there's so many ways... There's so much you could... Uh, there's so much to approach in a film like this about his life. Um, to what extent did you did you map it out with him initially, or was it really researching it on your own and then and then bringing a plan to it? Or how, how did you? Yeah. No, uh, we didn't. We didn't map it out with him. I mean, he, Vidal had written a book in the '60s called "Sorry I Kept You Waiting, Madam," which was a an autobiography <clears throat> that went up to the late '60s. And I'd read that, and I'd read a lot of press, and did a lot of research, and we you know, constructed a script based on that and tried to figure out how we were going to visually tell the story. Um, but the actual structure of the film and, and, and deciding what we would emphasize and what we, we wouldn't really was a, was a two-year process that happened through the editing. Um, you know, one of the things that happened at first, my initial instinct was we'd have to tell the story out of sequence. We'd have to be non, you know, that's just, it's such a common trope these days in films, particularly documentaries, to kind of mix the, the chronology of everything up to keep it interesting. And the more I played with that, the more I realized that Vidal's one of the few people whose, whose life story, when told in a linear way, is completely fascinating. It's very rare that someone has that kind of life, where A follows, you know, B, what? B follows A, C follows B, you know, it actually all connects that way. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a rags to riches story, so it makes sense to start with the rags and work your way that way. So realizing that was a big, was a big thing and kind of set us off in a particular direction. Then we had all kinds of other material that, had to, that didn't really fit in the chronology, like, as you said, his, his, um, his dedication to health and well-being. You know, where do you put that in the story? Um, we also interviewed other people in the film, you know, where, where do they fall into the story? Where do you include those? And just over time, you'd find a way that it would all fit. You know, things that, that were impossible to see in the film early on suddenly, oh, it made perfect sense to put it there. Um, but I think, I think discovering that really it worked as a linear story was, was the breakthrough. 
I didn't I didn't realize before watching the movie. Again, I'd heard of him and, and been familiar with him as, as a kid and seen the commercials and stuff. Um, didn't really realize his significance. Maybe just speak to speak for a moment to as a, as a it comes out in the movie, but as a teaser for those who haven't seen it, um, speak to his what you feel he had the greatest impact. What was his greatest impact? Um, I think it's you know it, it's hard to come up with an equivalent of him in any other industry. Um, you know, Vidal single-handedly changed every single thing there is about hair. Uh, he changed how hair is cut, what the look would be. Um, he changed the way stylists dressed. You know, everyone in his salon had to wear a very tailored suit. You had to have shine shoes or you got sent home. Um, he changed uh, the way salons looked. Salons used to be frilly pink places with chandeliers, and his salons were these clean, modern uh, minimalist spaces that were very architectural. Um, he, he changed products. He, he became the first person to do a celebrity-endorsed product line, and it was a very simple product line. You know, you, there were three steps, and anyone could do it. Um, and the packaging was very modern. You know, he had these very you know, famous brown bottles with a, with a silver type. You know, shampoo packaging used to be pink and, you know, geared toward women, but there was this very clean, minimalist, design-oriented... Um, you know, actually, Michael says in the film... Um, that Vidal was actually the, the, the apple of his time, you know, that his haircuts were the iPod of their time. They were the kind of the... the um, that's not a plug. He actually says it in the film. Um, but, um, but, you know, it was that kind of impact on design. Um, you know, if you think about any other industry, it's hard to find one where one person transformed it that much. You know, you can think of Henry Ford in the auto industry, but, you know, he did this much. Um, you, can, you know, it's really hard to, uh, to come up with an equivalent. So, so in the hair industry, you know, he's the person that, that, that did it all. And he created um, schools. He didn't just create hairstyles. He created a system of cutting and a series of rules and an approach. And then he opened schools where he taught that to other people. So suddenly, everyone in the world could do what he was doing. You know, in a sense, he gave it away. He gave it back to everyone. And that created modern hairdressing. And contrary to the stereotype, he's quite a ladies' man as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a line in the movie, which I won't repeat, uh, which is... Um, which he... Yeah, I'm not going to say it. But, uh, yeah, no, he... See the movie for that line. Yeah, that's worth... There's a teaser for you. But uh, no, no, he, he was quite a lazy man, yeah. We've had a few document, documentary filmmakers in here the last couple of days. And um, one of the things we've talked about the last two days is um, this idea of, of sort of tension that can exist between a documentarian and a, and a uh, subject um, and how that can drive a film. Um, to what extent do you think that tension is required, if at all, to, to really give the project um, depth, depth, uh, Intensity. Uh, how, how have you have you thought about that relationship that you that you as a documentary filmmaker have with your subject, and how did that play out in this particular case? Well, you know, in this case, there really wasn't any tension between uh, Vidal and myself, or with with the producers. I mean, he's just so gracious and so open. There really wasn't any. Were there um, concerns that he had? Were there areas that you felt? you were tentative about exploring or that you had yeah. to negotiate over time or how did you, and how did you address them? Early on, I think we knew, we knew that we got to a certain point in the story. Um, we were going to have a hard time. Um, certain things in his, well, his whole life builds and it just keeps getting better and better and better and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden he gets to a point in his life where things aren't working out so well, where his, his, his marriage falls apart. Um, he sells his product company and various family issues that are very personal 
And at first, the first time we interviewed him, we didn't really go into we, we very cursory kind of exploration of that. And the more we worked on it, the more we realized we're going to have to really sit down and, and do this. And, and uh, Michael, Michael Gordon, who you saw in that, that clip asking the question, um, called Vidal up and said, listen, we're going to come out to LA and we just want to talk to you again just about kind of the, the down times in your life. And he said, okay. And came and he then was just completely open. And, and you know, it, it was amazing. We just sat there and all the things we were afraid to ask him, Michael asked him and they all just... Because you'd already built this trust, or he, he felt comfortable already, I imagine. I think so. I'm yeah, thinking th about the lesson that other filmmakers might take from. That's from true. The way yeah, I think you know it had been. The, it was the fourth or fifth shoot we'd done with him, um, and he'd seen. I, we'd put together a little. I'd put together a little trailer that he saw. So you know, he was seeing that the film was. You know, one of the things I did after we did the first few shoots is I said, you know, I realized I wasn't going to have anything to show for this for at least a year. And I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to cut together a trailer just for all parties concerned, could see what we had and that it was, you know, potentially going to come together well. Um, and so he'd seen that. And so I think, I think that's true. I think, I think there was just this level of trust at that point and an excitement about the project. And so uh, he was probably a, a lot more forthcoming than he may have been in that first interview. Are there other... Um, are there, there's certainly a, a no shortage of films about great people, uh, Documentaries about artists, creative people, uh, portraits, and 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 biographies. Uh, were there particular films that you looked at, studied, considered, uh, were inspired by, or other filmmakers you might have been influenced by in the making of this film yeah. in particular? I mean, for me, you know, the person I always go back to in terms of of nonfiction filmmaking uh, is Errol Morris, because Errol Morris's films, um, Thin Blue Line, Mr. Death, and uh, Fog of War, in particular. You know, our films that, that like this one, you know, it, we're not following someone around with a camera as their life's unfolding. We're, we're trying to figure out how to tell the story that's already happened. You can actually write the script and then make the movie. With, and with many documentaries, you can't. Um, and his, his films tend to have, have often had one central character and only one person's voice for the entire runtime of the film. And that was the initial idea here. We ended up interviewing other people. Um, but... I think, you know, for me, that was the model um, for how he explores a person's life and how he finds a visual way to tell a story that's already occurred and, and, and kind of blends the tools of fiction and nonfiction filmmaking. So let's talk a bit more about um, some of the questions that folks in the audience might have. Um, tell us more about how many hours of footage you shot, what format were you shooting on. Tell, tell us about some of the specific sure. uh, practical aspects and the te technological aspects yeah, of the production. We shot in uh, HD cam, the Sony 900, for anyone interested. It's a, it's a large format, high-def camera. Um, same camera George Lucas used to shoot the Star Wars prequels. That sounds really impressive. I like saying that. Um, it's also the same camera they used to shoot the news and everything else. But anyway... Um, so we shot an HD cam. It's a very, very high-quality, um, high-def format, um, edited in Final Cut Pro. And I, I don't know the complete amount, running time of footage we had, but we had 14 terabytes of footage. Um, that's, that's what we shot plus archival. Um, and there were, there were other little scenes in the film that were shot in Super 8, and there were some things that were shot with smaller high-def cameras when we... You know, in the, in the few instances where we actually were following Vidal as something was unfolding. Um, and the editing process was about two years. I think one of the, one of the most 
miraculous things about the film was the entire, you know, the whole film was, you know, I cut it in my apartment. And it's a really small apartment. Um, so it's, you know, it's not like there was a separate, you know, editing room. I mean, it was, you know, the kitchen and the living room and the editing room are the same room. Um, and in doing so, I think, you know, I, I think the way, you know, you asked before about how we found the structure, I think that's, that was part of it. It's like the movie was always there and the computer was always on and the drives were always spinning. So, you know, if you're cooking dinner or, or, or reading the newspaper or watching a film or something, it was there. And, it, you know, I would constantly go over to it and watch something or, you know, have an idea and play with it. And it wasn't like I had to go down to an editing room somewhere and, and it was separate. It was, you know, as much a part of my life as sleeping and brushing my teeth and anything else I might do. Which can be a good thing and a bad thing, I'd imagine? Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. And I don't know that I'd ever do it again, but it did, it did have certain benefits. Um, but it did, you know, having that many little fans going in your, in your small apartment, it's kind of, it would get hot in there and it would get stifling and it would, yeah. It was, it was a lot. It was, and there was a lot of me probably going out for walks at two o'clock in the morning because I just couldn't stand to be in that little room anymore. So yeah, it was, it, but you know, I, 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 at least at the beginning of it, I was very good about following Vidal's example and, um, you know, he's, he's so disciplined and he's such a, takes such good care of himself. I really tried at the beginning to sleep normal hours, have a regular work schedule, eat better, exercise more, and actually it had a huge effect. I mean, it actually was very helpful because if I, if I had indulged my normal proclivities and had worked that way, it probably would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the process of shaping the final product. Um, how, how many other folks were involved in helping you? What kind of feedback did you get from other folks? How many folks were involved in helping you um, sort of get to the final version uh, and how was that process for you? We worked very closely with, with Michael Gordon and our other producer Jackie Gilbert Bauer who I think is over there but I can't tell because the it does look like the shape of her head. Yes, there she is. Um, we, you know, Jackie and I have, have talked I think for the last thousand days have talked on the phone several times a day, every day, emailed and texted over and over again. So we, we've been in constant contact throughout the whole process. And then we would also do screenings probably just about every week or every other week with, with Michael Gordon. So um, the three of us worked very closely on that and, and we're looking at progress and reacting to it all the time. And we did um, two, two screenings along the way, one last August which was a brutal experience, and uh, which, so. which, well, we had a lot of very harsh reaction, but it was very helpful. Um, you know, because you get to a certain point and you don't know what's missing from the film. Like, you know, I have so much information about him and his life. I don't know if it's really in the movie or I'm just projecting it from my own mind when I see it. So you had a lot of people just kind of telling us that certain things were missing, certain things were underemphasized, certain things were overemphasized, certain things were too long. Um, and it really helped us reshape the film, particularly the first act of the film really got tighter and really got um, much more, it had much more of a point of view. Um, and we did another screening probably in the fall where we were getting a little bit closer and it was right before all the kind of the motion graphics that you saw at the beginning were going into the film. It was kind of the last group of people to see it before it was polished in any way. You know, it still had temporary music, it still had... um, But those two screenings were very helpful. And then we also did two screenings for Vidal during the process. One last May, Mm -hmm. which was very encouraging because it was really when the 
it was the first glimpses of what the shape of the film might be, although a lot of the, the third act was missing. But it was the, uh, kind of the beginnings of how you could see all the elements working together. Mm -hmm. And he, he was very positive about it. And, the, and the, the parts you were talking about before that we had hesitation to bring up, we actually sat in a small screening room with, with Vidal, his wife, and his son, and watched these very difficult personal family moments with them in the room, and they were, they were okay with it afterwards. So that was very helpful. And then we did one last screening for him a couple of months back. Tell me about, uh, I saw the film, and I think it was the first screening this past weekend. Tell me about the reaction. Uh, it was a very strong reaction, very good reaction to the movie. Tell me about how you read the reaction. Were there any, was there things that surprised you about the way the audience responded to the film? I don't know if you sat through it, but were there things that, that, that you discovered in the, por in the course of showing it to a paying audience that you might now change or things that re reinforced decisions you'd made? What was that experience like? Well, Jackie and I sat in the back, <clears throat> in the back of the theater. They had saved seats for us in the middle, in the dead center, surrounded by everyone, and they, you know, that was kind of a terrifying prospect, so we sat in the back. And, I mean, one of the things that kept happening was people were, um, people were eating popcorn, people's phones were ringing, People would get up and go to the bathroom. And they would use the one door of the theater that would stick and stay open and let light in and let noise in from outside. So there was all of that sort of stuff going on. A couple of times I was like crawling on my hands and knees trying to pull the door closed. Um, but, you know, it's always interesting because there, there are certain places where people always laugh and I don't, I don't understand why they think certain things are funny. There's one part late in the film where, where Vidal says, was talking about selling his company and he says, a company came along, and I'm not mentioning names here, but Witches and Vicks it was. Everyone laughs. I never thought it was funny. Um, and then there were other places where, you know, as a group, when we watched it, we always laughed, and they didn't get a laugh. But, like, the line after it did. So there was really strange, you know, seeing people's reaction and kind of thinking, waiting for that laugh, and it didn't come, and then we would look at each other, and then it would come a second later. Um, so that was interesting. But we did get a lot of, particularly, we did another screening on Saturday afternoon in a much smaller theater, and you could really hear people's reactions. And people, you know, when a, when a story point would unfold, you'd hear people going, hmm, 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 you know, in, in all the right places, so that, that was great. Um, I always wonder when I'm talking to documentary filmmakers about the idea of how their subject influences them or affects them. Uh, in the case of your film, I'm wondering about um, how your personal style, your sense of style, your aesthetic, uh, choices have been influenced by spending so much time immersed in the world of this this person. Um, have you had a chance to reflect on maybe what influence he's had on you uh, as it relates to style or as it relates to something else? I, uh, me personally or in, in making the film? Um, you personally now? And, uh, sort of I think, well, I'm wearing a lot of black and white. Right. <laughs> that might be a direct result of that. He might wear these sneakers. That could be... Uh... No, it probably has had... Uh, I'm probably wearing more scarves than I used to. <laughs> Because he's he always wears, wearing he wears he a lot wears of scarves and he well too, ties right. them really well. There's actually a, a scene at the beginning and the end of the film where he's tied a scarf in a way that I just can't figure out. And I've asked him about four times to show me how he did it, and he's, "Oh no, it's very simple, you know." You, but I, I can't figure it out. Um, so it probably has had an effect on me. And I've been looking for new glasses for a long time. His glasses are amazing. And the ones I really want are those, and it would just seem like single white female or something if I was wearing the same glasses as him. Um, so I'm still struggling, still looking for glasses. Okay. Um, but it probably has had some influence on me, I would say, yeah. Um, I'm, I also may be speaking a bit slower because of him. I tend to speak very quickly. You know, it's interesting, he speaks so smoothly and perfectly that 
when you're, you know, when you're editing and you're, and you're looking at footage at high speed, you can actually like go at three or four times speed and understand everything he's saying. Where the couple of times I was, had the misfortune of having to edit myself talking, I, if you fast forward it at all, it's totally unintelligible. But he may have had some influence on that. But you know, overall, his aesthetic and his love of, of, of architecture and minimalism was really the guiding visual aspect of, of the film. Um, I remember writing a creative brief for Michael before we started shooting. And I was saying that the approach uh, to the camera work would be to reflect elegance. Because uh, for me, the main word about Vidal that I always think is, is, is how elegant he is. He's got this incredible walk. He just he, you know, glides. I mean, you can get a sense of it there a little bit. And so we did a lot of camera movement, that kind of you know, steady cam and gliding camera movement to kind of get the, the same feeling you have from the way he moves and the way he carries himself. Thanks. Well, I would like to take some questions from the audience. So uh, if anyone has a question, raise your hand. We have a microphone uh, that Matt has over there. Um, and don't be shy. We'll take... Oh, on this side, so right up here, second row. Hi, I was wondering when you, when you first started the, the film till the end now, what did you find that was different from what you initially set out to do? And can you speak more about the process of how you did the documentary? Did you start out with a bunch of researchers and say, we want to work on this fact and this fact here and maybe you can talk about this? Or did you just let him say what he, whatever it was that he wanted to say? Um, well, the process was the, f the first step was to do some initial research. As I said, I read this book that he'd written in the 60s and read a bunch of magazine articles and other things and wrote a script. Um, and that script was the basis for the first interview we did with him. Um, so we knew we wanted to hit particular points. You know, that structure, the, the points we hit about his life, is pretty close to where we ended up. There were maybe a couple of things we dropped and a couple of things we added. Um, so... We based the questions for the initial interview on the structure of that script. And some of the things he said led us off in some other directions. Um, but that kind of, uh, that basic shape is, is what, is, is, is how we started. Um, it, it's kind of stayed through to the end. Um, and it's very close. I mean, there were, the sequence you just saw with the rulers and the, the protractors and things, I mean, that, that was something very early on that I knew when we finally got to that point that I wanted to try. There's a whole, you know, Vidal's been saying for years that architecture was his main influence. And there have been all these books and magazine articles published about him over the years, but no one has ever taken the haircut and put it with a building and actually showed how the angles of the buildings uh, bizarrely. So, we, you know, we knew that was going to be an element in the film. Um, so I wouldn't say the film was, was, was meticulously planned because it just kept, we kept doing more, you know, thankfully... Michael, you know, as a producer, was so uh, motivated to get it right that when he thought we needed more, we needed to go, he, he was willing to, to subsidize that and make that happen. Um, so it wasn't like we had a plan for, you know, or a schedule for how we'd shoot from the beginning. It, it took a lot longer than any of us thought. But I think the end result is kind of what, what we had in mind from the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. Another question from the audience? You're in the front row. Um, so how did your final screening with Vidal go? As in, were you guys just sitting there eagerly watching his face, like details for every like, little reaction? I mean, I know that you said that he was pleased, but I mean, what were kind of like some exact words? Or like, like, like I said, were you sitting there eagerly watching his every move? 
the very last time he saw it, I wasn't there. Michael actually took it to him and showed it to him himself. Um, but I did show it to him probably, I was there when we showed it to him maybe a month before. You know, there, as I said before, there were certain things in the film that are so personal, you're just kind of cringing to be in the room when he has to relive, I mean, relive some of the most painful moments of his life. Um, so you're kind of watching him, but, you know, just hoping it doesn't, you know, hurt him too much or, 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 or cause him to say that's got to come out of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there and kind of watching the back of his neck as he's watching the film and trying to judge how he's reacting. Yeah, the, the entire time. It's a really, uh, it's probably been the, that's probably the most grueling thing that happened in the whole process of making the film is to watch him watch it. Other questions? And also just to say, I mean, he's, he's incredibly sharp because there were things where we, we used a photograph. We actually recreated a photograph and photoshopped it and thought he'd never notice. And he instantly said, ooh, that's not the real, you know, there's a better shot of that. And he, the first time we showed it to him, he had this list of things that was, you know, he, he remembered that they did three takes of that particular haircut and we used the take he doesn't like. But. We have another one over here in the third row. Hey, um, so you, you said you initially, you wrote a script for this film. I'm just curious as to what, what went into the script. Was it just questions you wanted answered? Was it plot driven at all? If you could talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, it, it was, it was um, I think it did two things. I think it was mostly, if you had to tell his life story, you'd say, okay, he was born in an orphanage, and then we came out of the orphanage, it was World War II. And then, you know, we wanted to make sure we had that chronology covered, so we made sure to ask him about all the moments of his life. It wasn't a script where there was dialogue. It, it was more kind of a, Vidal will talk about this topic. Occasionally, we may have written down a quote or two that we've heard from him in the past, hoping he'd say it the same way again. Um, but it was also uh, some possible ideas for how visually we would tell the story. Um, while he's talking about architecture, we'll show buildings and haircuts, and you know, it was that sort of thing. But it wasn't, it wasn't a script, there wasn't too much dialogue in it. It was more story points that we knew we had to cover. Um, and then we took that script and turned it into answers rather than questions. We wrote down what we hoped he would say. So, so rather than say, so you were born in an orphanage, what was that like? We, we wrote out what I, what I thought he'd say about growing up in an orphanage, which wasn't what he said. He said something completely different, which was fine. It wasn't like we wanted him to follow our script. It was just like making sure you had all the information in mind. Um, and if he went somewhere else with it, that was even better. And that's, that's what continually happened. We have another question all the way in the back. Was anything uh, off limits physically, like his first pair of scissors or his basement or anything like that? I'm sorry, could you? Was anything off limits as, as far as like his first pair of scissors or his basement or? Would he not give us access to anything? Right. No, he, he, we had full access. I mean, um, he lives in California, so there's no basement earthquake rules. But, um, uh, he doesn't have his first pair of scissors. Uh, there were a lot of things he didn't have. He didn't have. His, he was in the Israeli army. He didn't have his uniform. Um, we went at one point. We went to his second wife's home, uh, Beverly, and she gave us full access to the the family albums and the home movies. Um, Jackie and I were in a in a hotel room in Manhattan Beach, California, with 
a Betamax deck, a three-quarter inch deck, a Super 8 projector, a VHS deck, <laughs> connected to a TV, I'm just going through stacks and stacks and stacks of tapes, like a New Year's Eve two years ago. Um, and so we had full access to everything they had. In fact, I, you know, I transferred their home movies and probably have watched more of their home movies than, than the family ever has. I don't think they've ever been watched, had the original tape on the reel. So, yeah, we, we had full... I, I can't think of anything they wouldn't, that they wouldn't discuss or wouldn't give us access to. We have time for two more questions. We have one back here. Hi, I was just checking. So, so you... Um... So you had total control over the editing um, uh, up until even, aside from the graphics, even after the uh, test screenings, you, you had uh, total control over the editing? No, I mean, it was, it was a pretty open and collaborative process with, with Michael Gordon, the producer. I mean, I wouldn't say I had total control. I had to kind of fight for things, and he would fight me on certain things. And I, I know we weren't fighting, but it was a very, you know, we would, we would battle for... In, in a, and I think a very healthy and open way for, for how it should all come together. You know, it's, it was, uh, it was a very close collaboration in that way. You know, because I would go away for two weeks and look at material that he's never seen and come back with something, and he'd be reacting to that. And he, or, or you know, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't like I just went off and cut it exactly how I thought, and everyone just had to accept it, um, which I think was better. I mean, I, I can't imagine cutting it myself and directing it and, all, and, then, and shooting a lot of it and then just being allowed to do whatever I want with it. it was, you, we needed someone else to, uh, that I had to answer to. That, that being said, there's very little in the film that I can't think of anything I wanted to keep in that couldn't except for the shots of the chairs in the Chelsea Football Stadium, Jackie. Um, no, like two insert shots that I wish were still in it, but you know, the film is probably better for the fact that they're not. But there really, it, there was nothing that happened that, that I, nothing got left on the cutting room floor, metaphorically, because of that situation. All right, who wants the last question? You, you and Michael Gordon, there, there was no editor then? Well, the editor you, was me. You did the editing as well. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. What, what did you use? Uh, Final Cut Pro. Final Cut. Apple's Final Cut Pro. <laughs> <laughs> Available here On in a the store. Mac um, Pro, so a processor tower. With two. <laughs> so you have a couple more screenings. Uh, when, when can folks see the film if they have We haven't? Well, f I'm glad to say the film is... Well, nothing's ever sold out at the Tribeca Film Festival. Where they leave a certain number of tickets that they call rush tickets. But... That's the situation we're in, thankfully, for our last two screenings. So um, people can wait in line and hopefully get seats. But we have a screening tomorrow night at 9, nine o'clock in the Village East. Okay. And on Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock at the Chelsea Cinemas. Great. And what are you working on next? What are you up to? I, I started shooting a film right before Michael came to me with the idea of doing this one. So I, I had, um, it's a, a documentary about one of the Apollo astronauts who walked on the moon uh, and cut hair in space. No, uh, that's not true. Um, and he, he did shave in space, but that's about as close as we get. Um, but uh, it took about a year to convince him to do that and, and I shot that like in October of 07. And in November of 07, Michael said, hey, do you want to do this? And then this just took off. So I, I've literally not touched the 14 hours of interview footage I did with, with Edgar Mitchell, this astronaut. So that's, that's what's next, I hope. 
best of luck with that. Thank you. Congratulations on this film, and thank you, thank you for being here. To thank you, you for coming. And to the audience. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.